In the name of Jesus, Amen. Now, if I were one of the 12 disciples right now, I would be feeling pretty good. If I'm talking about where we are in the gospel, I'd be feeling really good. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus casts out a demon from a mother's child, and he heals a deaf man. Mark records that these special miracles are making Jesus more and more popular among the people. If you remember, Jesus had 5,000 people at one time, and then all of a sudden he gave a hard teaching and they went down to 12 people. But now he's continuing in all of these miracles and all of a sudden the disciples look around and there's 4,000 men, not including women and children, that are gathered around Jesus once again. There was a slight setback, but things are looking good. <laughs> and then Jesus heals a blind man. And his faith er, and his popularity continues to grow. And then perhaps the most powerful display of all. Unfortunately, they couldn't share this with everybody else. But Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John, and they go up on a high mountain, and they're standing before them. He who looked like a man every day that they that since they had known him was transfigured before them, and God was in their presence. And at the top of the mountain, at least those three think they're home. Then when they come down from the mountain, there was arguing because all of a sudden the disciples had a small setback. They couldn't cast a demon out of a boy who had lived with this demon since he was a child. But here comes Jesus on the scene, and in a word, the demon leaves him. He convulses the young boy. He looks, the boy looks for dead, but the all-powerful Jesus reaches down, grabs the boy's hand, and lifts him up, and everybody, everyone is amazed. If I were the disciples... I'd be feeling pretty good. By the way the disciples judged success, it looked as though all things were going pretty well. The world was looking at Jesus at this point, and they were admiring him. And in turn, by association, guess who else they were admiring? That's right, the twelve disciples. So if I was one of them, I'd be feeling pretty good. I'd be... I'd be, uh, I'd be like nudging for position as we walk down the road together. <laughs> I bet they thought, man, if our, in our old jobs, sure, we left a lot. I used to be a successful fisherman. But you know what? In my old job, I never got this kind of respect. In my old job, when I spoke people didn't quiet down like they do now. You see what I mean? Things were going pretty well for them. People were bringing them their problems, and even when they couldn't solve them, they solved them by association. Jesus, <laughs> take care of this, please. They liked their respect, and as a group, they, 
they like the respect as a group, like we're one of the twelve. It's like being a member of something popular. But they even liked the respect individually. In fact, they had gotten in a couple of arguments recently about who was the greatest among them. You see, the disciples, just like everyone else, wanted to be valued. They didn't want to be one of the faceless disciples. They wanted a name for themselves. And this was a little tricky for these guys because their job was basically to do the same thing. They were to share God's word. Basically, they had the same job that every pastor that comes along is the job that they have. We can understand what they were feeling because all of us like to be valued. I've given a lot of thought about this because sometimes there's shy people that really don't like to be called out. Um, Right, Jack? I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, But uh, some shy people do not like to be called out. But here is something. Everybody likes to be appreciated. It doesn't matter if you're super popular. It doesn't matter if you're super outgoing or not. If you do something, you kind of want to be valued. Does that make sense? I was thinking, uh, so in marriages, in marriages... It can be said that about 80 to 90% of the people uh, in a marriage believe that they are giving more than their spouse is. You might be thinking, wait a minute, 80 to 90% are giving more than the other one? That does not add up. You're right, the math does not add up. But the thing is, we're always thinking that whatever we're giving should be appreciated and valued. And we have a hard time appreciating and valuing what other people are contributing. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes? Okay. I guess what I'm saying is that when we walk through this life, generally, we are thinking about ourselves and what we deserve or what we can get out of this life. The disciples were arguing about who was the greatest because they were thinking about their future. The way things were going, Jesus was going to be made king. And they wanted the best jobs in the kingdom. I think they believed that they would be rich. And they would have leisure. And when they did do some work, because you got to do some work, They wanted to be respected and appreciated for it. In other words, they were looking for heaven on earth. How about us? Where are our treasures? Are we fighting over recognition from other students? Are we fighting other students for recognition among our teachers? Are we, do we stuff Do we do stuff in our family and hold grudges when people do not recognize our contributions? In other words, are we doing it for the family or are we doing it for us? 
Do we get mad at our significant other or our spouses because we feel like we give way more than we're getting? Are we looking for heaven on earth? I think that's a very valid question. That's not nice. (laughs) Jesus, for his part, was not looking for heaven on earth. He left heaven to come to earth to save us from the hell that this earth is heading towards. In fact, Jesus was constantly teaching about how he would be laying down his life for the sins of the world. And his disciples could not hear him. In our gospel it says that Jesus was teaching the disciples that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. He was talking about his death and resurrection. And if you remember from the, uh, Luke, and I discuss it all the time, and this is why we have these three uh, uh, wood sculptures on, on the side of the building, is because we always want to preach the word of God as it refers to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, Jesus was telling them how he was going to save them. He was telling them the fulfillment of all scriptures. The key to everything. The Bible even says that all things hold together, making peace by the blood of his cross. And he's telling them about this. The key, the glue for everything. And they can't hear it. Jesus is not interested in setting up shop on earth one little bit. He is like a firefighter running into a burning building. He's not going to set up a water stand there. He's grabbing people and hauling them out. He is like a rescue team running into a collapsed mine to save those who are trapped. Jesus came from heaven and was returning to heaven, but he would not be returning alone. For he would return with all who would be washed in the blood that he would shed. All who believed in his name. He is returning to heaven with you. I pray that he returns to heaven with others that we know and love who don't yet know him. Now the disciples were slow to understand. In fact, they did not understand until the resurrection from the dead and the ascension into heaven. Until that point, they were still trying to make treasures on earth That is why they argued about who was the greatest among them. And they came to Capernaum. And when Jesus was in the house, he asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the way? Remember, he was discussing the death and resurrection. What were you discussing on the way, he says. But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. 
I understand why the disciples kept silent. If Jesus were to ask me what I was talking about, or what I've been planning, or what I've been hoping for, I think I would want to keep silent as well. Like the disciples, most of the time I'm thinking about earthly things. Sometimes I can't even put this ministry, this ministry right here, into eternal perspectives. I get excited for the coffee shop. I get excited for large numbers. I get disappointed when things get delayed. I get disappointed when numbers are lower. I get excited for a strong student fellowship and community. I get disappointed when people don't seem to respond to what I'm throwing down. (laughs) But you know... What if we don't have the death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins? None of it would mean a single thing. Wouldn't mean nothing. Even with this ministry, the Lord needs to remind me that we are here to be His hands, feet, and mouth as He seeks and saves the lost through us. As he continues to save us. You're not in heaven yet. We need to gather around the scriptures as sheep gather around their shepherd. So that we can be led to our eternal home. Purdue this year is celebrating 150 years. And that's awesome. But Purdue is not eternal. University Lutheran Church, the building that we're spending so much money and time renovating, it's not eternal. The only thing that is eternal is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the people and the angels that He's created. Jesus came so that the people could be saved from their sins, allowing them to spend eternity with the goodness of God. If we are not found in Jesus, you know where we spend eternity? In the place that was made for the devil and his demons. Jesus did not come to condemn us. We're already condemned by what we've done, by what we've thought, by what we've said. God did not send the Son of Man to condemn you. He came, sent him to save you. And by his shed blood, Jesus is your peace with God. The only reason that you are not in heaven yet is not because you haven't got the car you've always wanted. The only reason you're not in heaven yet is not because you haven't been able to plan that thing that you've wanted to plan or see that thing you've wanted to see. You're not in heaven yet because there's somebody that doesn't know. We want to love others as we have been loved so that they will see our good works and praise our Father who is in heaven. We want to be confessing our sin and receiving absolution. We want to be staying close to the Lord's table 
so that we're reminded of where our true home is. We want to be a part of eternal things. So Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. What is Jesus saying here? I believe that he is saying that their argument about the greatness of themselves is futile. The measure of greatness isn't just silly. It's actually dangerous. And when Jesus takes this child, I believe that he is saying, Look, I don't need you. I could be doing this work through this little child. In fact, he took a child in the eyes of all of the greatest teachers of the law in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, and he sent him out there. Because the people that were supposed to be doing their jobs weren't. My son shared this message with me. He'll tell me that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. This is the word of God, my friends. And out of a five-year-old, it is just as profound as it is out of a 42-year-old. Jesus died to forgive you all of your sins. I'm not special. You're not special. But at the same time, if you... See, when you argue about your greatness, you sell yourself way short. Get, wrap your mind around this. You want to know how special you really are? Look at the blood that was shed to save you. When you're arguing about like your greatness in temporal things... That's nothing. I'm great because God deemed to save me. You're great. Your value is is more than gold or silver. Your value is shown in the precious blood of Christ that was paid to ransom you. Talk about humbling the disciples. Talk about humbling me. I pray to God, talk about humbling you. That's how much you're worth. And you are here not to argue your worth with anybody else. But you are here to share with them that they are selling themselves way short. They are loved by God and Jesus died to give them heaven. The world needs to know that this life It won't last. It won't last. I pray that we would be reminded of what is important, just as Jesus reminded the disciples in our gospel. And now the peace that surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until he returns for you. Amen.